The Atlanta Athletic Club, a history, written by Charles Eliot in 1973. Chapter 11. No one seems to know exactly when it started. Perhaps the idea had always been there. The guesstimate by a number of individuals is that in the early 1950s, some of the Atlanta athletic clubbers who lived on the north side began to talk about an additional golf course that might be more accessible and convenient to what they claimed would be a majority of the members. The sentiment spread, and when it developed to the point of suggesting that Eastlake Country Club itself be supplanted by a north side installation, the lid blew off. Members who lived in Decatur in the northeast section of Atlanta made up almost as large a percentage of the membership as the Northsiders, and the club arrayed itself as two factions who took opposite sides of the issue. One argument was that the rich heritage built up around Eastlake for almost two-thirds of a century would be violated, leaving AAC just another normal run-of-the-mill athletic club. One of the influences behind the conception of Lanier Yacht Club was as a peace move to bring the two factions together by giving the Northsiders a facility and keeping Eastlake intact. To make the country club more attractive, in an attempt to keep everybody happy, improvements were made in the swimming arrangements with a new bathhouse. Much of the clubhouse building was remodeled and expanded. The tennis courts were renovated, and the two golf courses put into as fine a shape as those of any club in the city. For a while, it worked. With sumptuous Sunday buffets, entertainment for all holidays, moonlight dances, and extra service, the country club reached its peak of patronage. The dining room for both lunch and dinner was usually filled, and the men's grill was a busy place. Foursomes came to play golf while their family swam or played tennis, and then they all stayed for dinner. Eastlake was a busy place and carried its share of the AAC financial load. No one knows exactly when or why the country club began to deteriorate. Play on the golf course remained as heavy, but the dinner and party crowds grew thin. Both food and service were still excellent, but the foursomes and others who used the club during the day went home or somewhere else to eat. Some blamed it on certain neighborhood conditions, others on changing tastes. Whatever it was, Eastlake as a total club was on the way downhill. And that was when the North of Atlanta Club came again into focus. In the early 1960s, President H.C. Allen quietly appointed a committee to again seek out available property in North Fulton County. The committee spent months examining tracks on both sides of the Chattahoochee River. The recommendation finally boiled down to two large wooded areas. One of these had been looked at the decade before, and the 600 acres there turned down. It lay across the Norcross Cumming Road just west of the Chattahoochee River. The price per acre had gone up considerably in 10 years, but this time, with soaring property values, it was considered a good buy. Acting in what it determined to be the best interests of the club, the board of directors took an option on what they hoped would be the site of the new country club installation. The news of the newly optioned property did not cause as much commotion as had been anticipated. The general assumption was that the tract would be held for further expansion in the future. Eastlake was intact, and that was the concern of those members living closest to it. Events have a way of moving, sometimes slowly but always inexorably. The metropolitan area was growing, expanding, literally bursting at the seams. What wooded and vacant areas were left in the vicinity of the old club mushroomed with middle- to low-class housing and shopping centers. The influx of humans brought added problems to the club. A certain element of the community resorted to nocturnal vandalism. 
Each dawn when making their rounds, the greenskeepers found numbers of flagsticks bent around trees, cups torn out of the greens, or worse, where some hoodlum had defecated into the cups. In a number of instances, the greens themselves were torn by tire marks where some vandal had skidded his car across the putting surface. A part of this problem was solved by erecting a high-woven fence around the clubhouse course. But number two course remained exposed. The cost of such a fence to enclose that area wasn't feasible, even in the face of such maintenance as was necessary to keep the second course in repair. The time had come to move, and the board moved quietly. The north side property, now known as Riverbend because it lay on a long arc of the Chattahoochee River, was purchased. A development committee was formed. This committee was comprised of Jim Shoemate, Watts Gunn, and Alan Harden. Jim Shoemate was later replaced by Oliver Sagas. In March 1966, the board of directors reported that the stockholders had authorized the sale of the number two course, quote, in order to provide funds for the construction of an additional facility on our Riverbend property, end quote. The sale of the number two course was not without its headaches. The stipulation of the potential buyers was that it had to be rezoned for housing development before they would purchase it. When this became known, a number of club members who were against the sale of the number two course made an attempt to influence the county zoning board. They asked them to not change the zoning status of the property, and they threatened litigation. It was only through the efforts of some high-ranking and influential AAC members that the zoning was accomplished and the property sold to Alex Smith and his group from Atlanta. The sale was completed to this group of local investors for a price which netted $1 million to the club. The board further reported, We have entered into a contract with Robert Trent Jones, the world's most outstanding golf architect, to construct 27 holes of championship golf at Riverbend for a price of $650,000. The contract is bonded to ensure that regardless of happenings, we will not be in a position of having a half-finished course with all of the money gone. From the time the Riverbend property was purchased, the general idea was that the Atlanta Athletic Club would own and operate two golfing facilities, one for the convenience of its North and Northwest members, and the other to accommodate those living in northeast Atlanta, Decatur, and points east. The thought behind such a setup was that each course would get its share of play, and neither would ever be too crowded. The board and club managers worked hard to achieve this goal. Even after Riverbend was started, the old number one course at Eastlake was put into the finest condition ever, and... In an attempt to re-attract the luncheon and dinner crowds, much of the interior of the attractive English Tudor-style clubhouse was redecorated. In addition, the men's grill was converted into a trophy room, with members donating their prized possessions of their prowess, as beautifully mounted marlin, sailfish, tarpon, and a number of unusual game animals for the walls. The best chefs and waiters available were obtained, and high-quality food was prepared. Special services were inaugurated, like bus service between the club and baseball and football games. The club went all out to keep Eastlake a going concern, but in spite of all efforts, use of the facility, except for the golf play, fell off, and the club continued deeper into the red. The board and at least a large segment of AAC's membership saw the handwriting on the old clubhouse wall and the maximum efforts were put into the creation of Riverbend to develop it as quickly as possible into a full-fledged club. Perhaps the whole story might be told in excerpts from a series of reports from the board of directors, plus other reports over a five-year period.
1963. The club had an option on 1,700 acres of land. The idea was to let the club take all or any part of that entire tract. What was left after the golf facility was built would be offered to stockholders. This proposal was turned down, and only slightly more than 600 acres were purchased by AAC. The remainder was bought by Texas speculators who made a million dollars on it in just one year. July 1965. The board revises the schedule of dues, initiation fees, and assessments, earmarking and setting aside the entire amount for construction of facilities at the North Fulton property when this work has begun. The action benefits the club without imposing any burden on the membership. February 1966. The board was pleased at the promise of Robert Trent Jones, the architect of the Riverbend Golf Course, to have the new course ready for play for the 1967 season. We might add to this a rather terse report and interesting statement by Larry P. Martin, who was either on the board, president of the club, or chairman of the board during those years of transition from East Lake to Riverbend. He filled us in on some of the details on the Trent Jones contract. Larry Martin said, Trent Jones had been virtually promised the job before I became president. Before we decided finally, we took him over to Bob Jones's office for a session. They had been friends for years. Bob said something like, Trent, I believe you're the best golf architect in the world, but you overcommit yourself. This happens to be my club. Before I would recommend you to Larry and the present board, I want to promise from you that you'll give this job your ample supervision. Trent promised profusely, and I asked the board to give it to him. However, I told the board that I wouldn't sign it unless it was bonded. I think this was the first time that Trent had to do this, and it took some time. He had started construction and after about 60 days came to see me about a payment. I told him, no bond, no pay. He accused me of being too hard, but the bond came through rather quickly then. I rode Trent hard about his lack of supervision on the job. He wrote Bob Jones complaining. Bob called me, told me about it, and sent me a copy of his reply, in which he told Trent that he had always found me to be fair. Further, he pointed out that he was not on the board and would not want to interfere in any way. This set Trent right, and he stayed on the job better. But he did leave us with a trap and drainage problems in several places on the new course. April 1966. The entire 27 holes have been laid out on the Riverbend property, and the actual building of the fairways, lakes, and rough grading has begun. May 1966. Riverbend Country Club was officially adopted as the name of our new golfing facility now under construction. Authorization was given to the Riverbend Development Committee to select and employ an architect to design the clubhouse and other facilities for the golf course. September 1966. The Riverbend Development Committee reported that the seating and sprigging of the course had been in full swing by the middle of August. The clubhouse design is also underway and should be in a position to receive bids on construction in September. The board gave the committee authority to determine the type of grass for the greens. Subsequently, it was decided to plant Pencross Bent on the greens and 328 Bermuda on the fairways and tees. October 1966. All fairways and tees will be sprigged within 10 days. The sprinkler system is almost complete and is being partially used to water planted areas. Contract for erection of the maintenance buildings has been let. February 1967. Since the golf course is complete and expected to be playable in late May or early June, 
and the clubhouse not ready by that time, it was decided to build the permanent structure of the originally proposed tennis swimming complex for use temporarily by golfers. When the entire clubhouse is eventually built, this facility will be converted to use by swimmers and tennis players. Neither swimming pool nor tennis courts will be built this spring. With the three nines complete and ready for a grand opening on May 27th, a Name the Nines contest was announced with a gift certificate worth $50 for the most picturesque name submitted for each nine. This proved to be a fun contest, which showed there was nothing short about the members of AAC when it came to originality. Here's what the Club Times had to say when the winners of the contest were announced. The Club Times said, As usual, AAC golfing members came through like champions. More than 200 replies were sent in as a response to the letter asking for name suggestions for each of the three nine-hole layouts at Riverbend. So many expressive and appropriate names were proposed that the committee appointed to pick a perfect title for each nine found itself in as difficult a dilemma as that of having to name the prettiest girl in the club. It would tax the imagination to conceive of a wider assortment of proposed names, which ranged from Chigger Digger to Chitlins. Some were so charming and apropos that one member of the committee voiced a wish that we should either title each hole or build some more nines to go with the great names. A long list of surnames was suggested by many contestants. And, as you might well imagine, our own Bobby Jones was a good drive and mashy shot ahead of the field. Since Mr. Jones, for personal reasons, requested that his name not appear, the committee considered it wise to eliminate all personality submissions. Birds, animals, and plants came in for their share of the glory. Leading the suggested names of plants and flowers was a variety of combinations which included the pine tree, with the dogwood running a close second. Covered also were all the mobile creatures from dove to alligator to giraffe to the three bears and on to monster, which was suggested by several of our golfers. Scottish and local geographic names led the field in that department, and several aspiring parachuters put their hearts on the line when they wrote, Faith, Hope, and Charity. Listen to some more suggestions from our imaginative members. Mosquito Lagoon, Buggy Bottoms, Corn Pone, Grits, Big Mouth, Nitty Gritty, Outer Limits, Satan's Sentence, Hook Slice and Shank, Crazy Legs, G and Haw, which is an old country boy's orders for direction to his mules and oxen, and Wit's End. The selection was made from a typed list, copied from the card submitted. Only after all the names had been chosen did the committee members learn which golfers had proposed them. The three nines named were Big Bend, with six dogleg holes, Waterloo, four lake holes plus the Chattahoochee River, and Longview, which starts with a long par five. The grand opening on May 27th, with barbecue, 700 members in attendance, 224 of them golfers, who pitted their skills with bunkers, water hazards, and near-perfect greens, all made the occasion an enthusiastic success. To ensure seven days a week play, the courses at Riverbend and Eastlake were closed on separate days. In his last report as president to the stockholders' meeting of February 13, 1968, Larry Martin came close to prophesying the future of AAC when he said in part, my letter of January 30th to members stated that the matter of any decision on what to do about Eastlake would not be on the agenda for the annual meeting, and it is not. 
When the time comes that the board believes a recommendation should go to our stockholders, it will be in a special stockholders meeting called with approximately 30 days notice. I do want to emphasize that at such time, all pertinent facts will be given to our stockholders in advance for their consideration. I believe that this club can live with only one golf facility, unless we want to pay substantially higher golfing dues than at present. If and when the board calls a special stockholders meeting with a specific recommendation, the stockholders will have an opportunity to approve or disapprove it. I believe that it will be at Riverbend, in the path of the future rather than in the past, which cannot be changed, for it is history. We have room on the present 417 acres for nine more halls of golf and any other necessary facilities. At the special stockholders meeting on April 2, 1968, the final vote on the board's recommendation to dispose of Eastlake was 900 in favor of the recommendation and 551 opposed. May 1968. The big meeting of the membership concerning the sale of Eastlake is over. It's unfortunate that every stockholder could not come away from the meeting happy. One thing we did note was that each member present had an opportunity to speak his mind, and certainly, everyone had the interest of AAC at heart. Eastlake was not sold without a full-scale Donnybrook. Even after the special stockholders meeting, court action was taken by a minority of the membership to prevent AAC from selling its first country club property, and this went through a number of legal channels before the courts granted final approval for the sale. Fortunately, the Eastlake Club was purchased by a group of longtime AAC members with the avowed intention of maintaining and operating it as the Eastlake Country Club. As of this writing, the new owners have been able to continue the tradition established over 60 years ago by AAC. Eastlake is now a going concern with growing membership, and a large number of AACers belong to both clubs. March 1969 Atlanta Athletic Club members went through another contest to find a new name for Riverbend, one that was appropriate and yet not so common that our club might be confused with any other. Two contestants submitted the winning name, and the committee chose it for the primary reason that AAC and its golf course should be directly associated. The new name is Atlanta Athletic Club Country Club. One of the points brought up was that while East Lake Country Club is world famous, only a small percentage of people who know the name East Lake recognize it as any way connected with AAC. The consensus is that the new club should belong. The August 1969 board report to the members gave some indication of what was in store for AAC with these words. It's not easy being both beautiful and middle-aged. The city club is certainly the latter. Our most immediate problem is the fact that our building is 43 years old and some of our equipment matches it year for year. We're deeply concerned with such problems as antiquated water values that feed the sprinkler system for fire protection, cracked caulking and loose flaky paint, and putty around the exterior windows, plumbing lines that need constant attention for leak and corrosion, electrical panels that require constant upgrading, etc., 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 the continued prosperity and welfare of our club will depend on the goodwill, cooperation, and patronage of each of our members. Something was happening to the City Club, housed in the Carnegie Way building to which AAC had moved in 1928. It may have had to do with a changing city, which over some decades had grown from a quaint, pleasant southern town to a spanking industrial giant, crawling with traffic, 
crowded with people, and in spite of all anyone could do, apparently becoming more infested with crime. Whether all this had any connection with the slowly deteriorating state of affairs at the city club, no one can ever know. The big crystal dining room on the fourth floor, which had been a lively place every night with its orchestra and fine food, fell off to a few scattered couples who came in for dinner. The upper floors devoted to bedrooms had been closed for lack of use. The delightful roof garden was no longer patronized. In spite of the faithful few who continued to use the athletic facilities and luncheon arrangements, the city club was rapidly assuming the status of a tremendous liability. It was taking an alarming slice out of the budget, with almost insignificant returns. As far back as the conception of Riverbend, the directors had gone overboard to bolster use of the City Club and East Lake Club. As Larry Martin succinctly put it, When I became president, I was amazed to find at the downtown club that a steak could only be cooked by frying. There was no grill available. This brought up the matter of the whole kitchen. Believing that good food had to start with a good kitchen, the board approved using about $60,000 from the sale of Eastlake No. 2 course to get new equipment and make other changes. In my estimation, the quality and variety of food did improve. I should add that we spent about $30,000 from the sale of No. 2 to improve the clubhouse at Eastlake. The whole board, I along with them, made an error in judgment. We thought that improvements and promotion downtown was what was needed. We failed to see that the center city was changing, and our members just wouldn't patronize as before. We should have concentrated on Riverbend earlier. March 1970. President Alan Hardin reports to the board. It's been our primary objective during the past year to build you the finest country club in the U.S. To build this facility within the budget and complete it in time for our heavy golf traffic in the early spring of 1970 has been our number one concern. I'm happy to report that we are staying very close to our budget, which was set almost two years ago, and we will open the clubhouse on March 7th. The swimming pool contractor is already at work and will complete his contract by June 1st. This complex will include a baby pool and the finest Olympic-sized pool for swimming and diving as you can find anywhere. We'll make necessary modifications to the existing building, which will serve as locker rooms and snack bar for the swimming and tennis participants. This pool complex was later chosen by the National Swimming Pool Institute as the number two swimming pool that year. From a standpoint of artistic design, most practical for its purpose and most suitable to its surroundings, NSPI presented a silver plaque to Artistic Pools of Atlanta who had designed and constructed the pool and President F.E. Waite of this company had the plaque duplicated for presentation to AAC to hang in its clubhouse. President Hardin continued, The contract for the tennis courts has been let, and work began the week of February 16th. The initial development will include one hard surface court and four green clay courts, plus a shop for the tennis pro. The new nine-hole course will be playable as soon as we have some good weather to bring out the grass that was planted at the end of last summer. I assure you that this new nine will be equally as challenging as our 27 other holes. It may even be the finest nine holes that we have. April 1970. Physically, Eastlake is no longer a part of the Atlanta Athletic Club, but its great tradition will ever be one of the most cherished chapters in the club's long and notable history. Its chronicles will remain a part of the club, as a source of pride to all members of succeeding generations. These will take the form of AAC's own Hall of Fame. Complete details are yet to be worked out, 
But the idea is to convert the wide hallways between the dining and social portions of the new country club building, and that section reserved for golf, into a lasting testimonial built around the past, present, and future of the club. That designated space in the connecting corridor between the social and golf wings of the clubhouse will be devoted to the exhibit of portraits, trophies, photographs, scrapbooks, and other memorabilia of the club's golfing and other athletic greats. Obviously, the completion of this will not be accomplished in a few days or even months. It will exist as a living and growing history, old and ever new, a tribute to the club's distinguished past and to its plans for an illustrious future. The fourth nine at AAC Country Club was opened in the late summer of 1970, giving the club two complete 18-hole golf courses. Many golfers considered this possibly the finest of the nines from the standpoint of beauty, preciseness, and variety of shots. For pro and amateur alike, it tests most of the clubs a man carries in his bag. When this was completed, some effort was made to name the two courses instead of the four nines, but the colorful designations of the layout remained in use with most of the players. The entire course had been completed and was available to the members some six months after the Riverbend Clubhouse was officially opened. True to the prophecy of Larry Martin, board chairman in 1968, the old city club on Carnegie Way more and more assumed the proportions of an unbelievable white elephant. In spite of all efforts by personnel and officials to keep the gym and other athletic facilities in constant and heavy use, the bar and dining areas overflowing and other conveniences occupied by enough members for the old club to pay its way, the people of AAC fought a losing battle. With the financial figures before it, the general lack of interest in use of the now almost deserted building, and with the country club in North Fulton booming, the stockholders voted to dispose of the downtown club and concentrate on making Riverbend the finest club in the region. The Carnegie Way building went on the block in 1971, and after several months of negotiations with agents, real estaters, and others, the old clubhouse was sold early in 1972 for about a million dollars. All fixtures and other equipment not of historical value were then auctioned off, Offices were set up in a different section of Atlanta to handle financial and business matters. And except for these, by May 1972, AAC made its total move to its new country club at Riverbend on the Chattahoochee River in North Fulton County.